Welcome to the Hidden Wire Podcast, episode 2019. My interview with Brendan Boral. We're discussing his new book, The First Shots. I hope you enjoy. Hi, Brendan. Welcome to the Hidden Wire Podcast. Great to have you here today. Hey, Lee. I'm very happy to be here. Probably getting a bit cooler over there in Los Angeles at the moment. Just got a, a good rain today. I'm wearing a jacket in my house. So, yes, it's cooling off. Yeah, we got uh, the opposite here, of course. We uh, have a very humid weather today, potentially uh, storms coming through again as well. So uh, <laughs> opposite side of the spectrum. Gotcha, yeah. So, mate, tell us a bit about yourself. Well, you've got a new book out, which we're going to delve into, and the book is called The First Shots, The Epic Briveries and Heroic Science Behind the Race to the Coronavirus Vaccine. Um, probably a very sensitive topic at the moment on all accounts. Um, but before we jump into that, what, what's your background? Tell us a bit about what you've done more recently. Well, you know, I am a, yeah, I've been a freelance journalist for uh, about 15 years now, writing for different magazines, um, newspapers, websites, uh, everything from like the Atlantic uh, Audubon magazine, which uh, covers birds uh, of all things to like places like Business Week. Um, and the first shots is my, my first book. Um, I came to writing uh, from, um, I was, uh, I, I got a PhD in biology, actually. I studied uh, bees in the tropics of Central America um, and uh, got really, really deep into entomology um, before saying, you know what, I love writing. I'm going to change course here. Uh -huh. um, and that, that was, uh, yeah, that was in 2006. And uh, so I've, I've never looked back. So what is this your first book? Did you say, or you've got you've got other books? I'm... It's my first book, yeah. Is it? I thought you had other books there. I don't know why I thought that. There you go. My name um, is on a textbook, uh, so sometimes people see that textbook and they say, "Oh, maybe that's but, yeah." Okay. The first shots. It's on Amazon. Um, we'll stick the links in the show notes. So everyone can grab a copy and have a read as well. Um, but such a um, what? What made you get into like from bees and birds to writing about the vaccination well yeah once i started uh be, you know uh, down the path to becoming a journalist i did kind of focus some of my early writing on the scientific world and you know i i just i i loved writing about people and their passions and people who are just really good at what they do um and uh gradually i kind of broadened out and became kind of a generalist journalist and i'd write about everything from like crime uh, to the environment, um, and sometimes even straight, straight business stories. But, but mm. when, you know, the coronavirus broke out in, uh, January, 2020, uh, you know, it kind of threw my life, like probably yours as well into a, a bit of disarray. I mean, uh, as, as the months rolled on and we saw that this was going to be a, a global pandemic. Um, and as somebody who's, you know, specializes in science, I thought, how do I contribute to this what, how do I use my expertise to write about this uh, topic? And, and I, I started reaching out to some of my sources and it was becoming clear that the, the vaccine story was going to be the big story. We were not going to get out of this pandemic until we had a vaccine. Mm. Um, and is that still your belief? Yeah, that, that is my belief. I mean, the vaccine, yeah. you, you know, has absolutely, you know, it's cut down on the severity of the infection and hospitalizations. And uh, I mean, it, that it's been a, a remarkable uh, historic scientific achievement. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, this, this whole, oh, congratulations on the book, first of all, and um, for putting your time and energy into such a book, because I think it's really important. Um, and I don't think there's enough... Um, discussions going on about um the vaccines and the science behind the vaccines it seems to become more of a political issue and a race for now in australia anyway at least mandates and mm -hmm. um and forcing people into maybe things that they don't want to do i.e get a vaccination um and that's becoming a bit of a political issue here in australia i don't know is that the same over there or is it is it still divided i mean absolutely here in los angeles we're facing a, a showdown over the vaccines for for uh kids in school in our school district here uh mm. you know uh and and basically uh the school district set a deadline and if kids aren't vaccinated by january 10th then they will be have to be homeschooled 
Um, or, is that, or is that in, five, to, five to 11-year-olds or five, or basically all school children above five? I think it's 12 and up uh, is my understanding, yeah. 12 and up? So, yeah. Because I know I mean, they've just released or, or just about to release a, um, a safe or a lower-dosed vaccination for kids between five and 11. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't think that the, the rules here apply to that yet. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think the mandates have been a hot button issue. And I think part of my book, you know, my book tracks the vaccine as kind of a scientific accomplishment and places it in the political and social context as well, because that is so important. I mean, you know, I actually was in Australia a, a few years ago um, you guys have this virus there called the Hendra virus, um, mm. which spreads from uh, bats to horses. And it has kind of a fatality rate close to like Ebola. Um, and, uh, and there were a number of people who, you know, the scientists developed a vaccine that you could give to horses to basically stop the chain of transmission. But there was a group of people who were, were unwilling to do that. They were fearful of doing that to their horses. And, and I, I wrote about anti-vaxxers in, in that <laughs> realm. And it kind of prepared me for, for what's been happening now with the COVID story, which is a very different story, but but fascinating all the same. Yeah, and I've, I mean, I don't know enough about the Hendra, but I've heard two sides to the story. And um, some people who have said that, you know, when the vaccine for the Hendra came out, um, a lot of horses died from the vaccine. Yeah, I mean, I've, I, you know, when I worked on that story, I dug into it, it just, there, there wasn't really evidence that that was the case. I mean, you know, I think the, there were, I talked to people who felt that was the case. They said, oh yeah, you know, within mm. a week, you know, but th- there was, yeah, I, I mean, this, this vaccine, that Hindra vaccine has been pretty safe. So, so I don't, I don't know about that. Yeah. So how do you, and this is a big um, part of the issue, I guess, because um, there's so many people that I speak to. Um, that are for the vaccine, obviously, but there's an equal amount um, that I speak to that are, are certainly not for it. And they're not against it, but perhaps they're just like, why, why should I get something that's been only trialed for a very short time? Um, and I guess people have questions about the trials and things like that too. Um, and also, you know, for healthy people, because it seems like the, uh, in Australia anyway, it's a 0.007% chance of dying from coronavirus. And usually it's the vulnerable people, the elderly and, and those that already have underlying illnesses. Um, so there's a lot of skepticism about the need for taking a vaccine. And I assume that's the same case over in the United States. But what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, that, that's absolutely right. I mean, what we've seen with the COVID is it mostly affects the elderly, the vulnerable, people who are immune compromised. I'm, you know, I'm a healthy person in my 40s. Um, and, uh, you know, my risk of dying or being hospitalized for COVID is, is very, very low. In fact, uh, you know, I had a positive COVID test even before I got the vaccine, um, and was basically asymptomatic. Um, you know, and so, so I think that definitely the, a person's sort of risk reward equation, um, is a little bit different with vaccines. I mean, so, so, I mean, the challenge with a vaccine as opposed to a drug, like a coronavirus drug, um, is that a vaccine is given to healthy people. So you're giving it to millions of people. So even a, millions of healthy people. So even a very rare side effect would be a problem, would be a reason why somebody might not want to take the vaccine. I mean, at this stage, these vaccines, however, have been tested extensively the side effects we've seen have been incredibly rare. Um, there's been with the mRNA vaccine, particularly the Moderna vaccine, this sort of heart inflammation, myocarditis in some young mm. men, um, mostly not super serious. Uh, and the, I mean, and the vaccines have been rolled out to, uh, you know, billions Lots of people. people at this stage. Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, they are, they are really safe. And so, you know, so, so I don't think the argument that it's, unsafe is very convincing. The question is, well, why, why would you do it if there's a low risk? Well, number one, you know, there, there is a low risk that you're going to get hospitalized, but there are still people in my age group that have had serious COVID, um, even though, you know, they, they are in that 0.7% or, or whatever the number is. I'm actually not sure exactly what it is. But, uh, um, and so you are going to have a risk of developing that. Um, and so at least in the U S we get vaccines for free. 
it's uh you know it gives you super immunity it's great i'm a person who i traveled the world i i love going to remote regions and i collect vaccines like you know <laughs> like nobody's business i i like being able to be like not worry if a mosquito bites me and i'm going to get malaria i like you know i yeah um yeah. and so so i i don't but really... i think there'd be a lot of people out there that would say i'm not actually worried about getting coronavirus because i don't think it's going to affect me that much and yes if i'm on that rare spectrum of being affected by it as a healthy person then so be it but um, you know, and there's, there's probably an equal amount of people that are, are talking to people that have had adverse side effects that maybe aren't being reported that well. Um, you know, I mean, I, I, I think at this stage, I, you know, I've, I've, the, the data has come in and these things, the, the side effects are still incredibly rare. We have the tooth, we have the Johnson and Johnson vaccine, which has, has had a little bit of a clotting disorder in, in young women and then the myocarditis in the mRNA vaccines. And neither of these are a, a big deal. Um, Do you so, feel that, that, that it's being reported well, the side effects that are, you know, from people having a vaccine and going to hospital um, for whatever side effects they've had? Um, do you think that's being reported? Well, well what, and, I, can speak and, to, what yeah. I can speak to is here in the States, um, we have a vaccine uh, adverse event reporting system. And anytime there's an adverse event, uh, some, something like that, it gets put into database, it gets investigated and sort of determined whether it's likely to have been caused by the vaccine or not. And yeah. so, yeah. Is, is there, a, that, is there that, a link of that data that people can go to and grab it and read of all the reported cases? Is that, is that public information? That, that, that is public information. I think that database in particular has been misused by some people because these are, you know, it, it's the difference between Anyone an, alleged, jump in there. an alleged suspect and somebody yeah. who's been convicted of a crime, right? You know, yeah. it, it's like you said, people who got, you know, their horses vaccinated and then a week later their horse died, they blamed it on the vaccine. You know, it's the same same situation. You you know, co correlation is not causation. Um, and uh, yeah, so, so, so yes, I think, you know, the surveillance efforts have been pretty good. And we haven't, you know, there, the thing is, Lee, that, you know, there are vaccines historically that have caused problems that we have discovered, um, you know, and that, you know, some vaccines that even, you know, were, were pulled from the market. I mean, one of the classic cases, something that I wrote about in the book was the first polio vaccine developed mm. by Jonas Salk. I mean, yeah. this was supposed to be a killed virus vaccine, um, but the technique that he used to, uh, uh, kill the virus on a small scale when sort of manufacturers started to rep replicate it on a large scale, it wasn't a hundred percent effective. So some people ended up getting polio from the vaccine. Mm. Um, and it was an incredible tragedy. And that led to, you know, a, another layer of scrutiny and the development of the modern food and drug administration's, you know, vaccine regulatory efforts these days. Um, and so, you know, I would not argue that, 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 that there are not situations where there are problems with in the, with vaccines. And we've learned from that experience. That was yeah, yeah. 50 years ago. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think, you know, you know, the, 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 the claim that these vaccines are somehow dangerous. I don't think so. I mean, the risks of these are much lower than drugs that you and I take pretty regularly uh, for, for other conditions. I mean, I think, we, you know, one of I don't the take drugs, are, Brendan. <laughs> you don't take my game. <laughs> no, well, I do. I do a lot of stupid things, but. Um, sure, sure. Well, I mean, one of the comparisons that was made was with, you know, with Johnson and Johnson's vaccine, this, you know, the, the rate at which this clotting disorder was turning up was less than the risk of, of blood clots from uh, birth control. Um, you know, and it's kind of like, this is something that many people take without even thinking about it. Um, and why yeah. are the vaccines sort of held at a, at a different level? And I yeah. think I want, I want to make a second point here, which is because, because I'm actually very sympathetic to people who are young and healthy and are like, you know, what, I don't even, you know, for, for them, it's just like, I don't want to go sit and wait in line and even get a vaccine or be like, have a fever for the next day and just deal with the inconvenience of it. But I mean, in the middle of a pandemic, you're also doing something for your community and for people who are, you know, uh, 
at greater risk than you are by reducing the transmission. We know that these things don't eliminate transmission completely, but they cut it by about, you know, with, with these variants, which has been a, a problem, there's, you know, with the Delta variant, they still cut it by transmission by about one fifth. Um, so that's, that is a benefit. Um, and then it also keeps the emergency rooms from filling up with the rare people because it doesn't take that much to overwhelm our hospital systems. Mm. Um, so I, you know, I'm supportive of people getting the vaccines um, in general. Yeah, I'm not in general, <laughs> and I'll play the devil's advocate here. Um, and sure. I guess I guess it's a thing of trust, isn't it? I mean, nowadays we have so much information at hand, whereas you know, 20 years ago. Perhaps all we had was a, a newspaper, maybe a radio, and maybe a TV, with limited amount of news. And and for those who watched it and listened, was probably a lot less. But now we've got social media streams, we've got real news, fake news, you name it, anything in between. Um, and I guess people, a lot of people, probably don't do the efforts of going into the science and the research like you have done for this book. Um, so they just rely on this information. And whether you're pro or, or not, you know, I guess you you have a biased tendency to what you believe. And maybe you focus on that. But I think there's a, there's a big level of trust. Um, and certainly from my perspective here in Australia, is that if you look around, um, how do we gain trust that a vaccination um, that doesn't seem to stop the spread, because as you said, it still um, is spreadable for those who are vaccinated. It doesn't seem to be stopping the people that are vaccinated from getting COVID. There's also a big medical push um, and forced mandates to force people to get vaccinations um, and that raises a big question mark for me like why would you force something on people um, for their own health reasons and yet still sell tobacco at our stores which makes obviously the government a lot of money here in Australia so there's all these questions around you know that would give people a lot of skepticism we've had I don't know it's 6,000 or 8,000 medical workers here I believe in Queensland only that have um, chosen not to get the vaccination and been forced to step down or not work um, for that reason and that sort of i guess would you know for, for a lot of people go well why are the medical professionals not even getting it or not wanting to get it so there's a lot of trust issues with what's going on and it's not to say that the science behind the vaccine vaccinations aren't there but it's more about a trust thing uh i mean what do you mean it's more about a trust thing i mean uh well how, well you don't trust it do you if you have all these this conflicting information uh, so we, we, the, we can what, well we, we can go out for example here in Australia we could go uh -huh. to um, the supermarket unvaccinated to buy groceries mm -hmm. now you can't go to um, a restaurant unvaccinated to have dinner mm -hmm. so you know there's conflicting ideals here that I guess confuse the population and this is what I'm saying it's right not whether I know, it's right I think, or wrong. I, no I think that's a good point I think we could, you know the word for that we, we, we call that pandemic theater. Uh, because of some of the, you know, less scientific, you know, lack of consistency, lack, you know, uh, in, in some of the policies at different state and local and, and federal yeah. levels. And yeah, I think that I think that absolutely has been confusing to people that you can go to a restaurant, and you can take off a mask, um, whereas in other contexts, you can't, um, as though yeah. the virus is going to respect that. And I think there are even curfews in some places. And yeah, some of that stuff was was pretty silly absolutely was. It's it's st a, a, still is still going and getting worse uh someplace i mean it, i think it's a it's a different story in different places i mean here in, yeah in well I'm, I'm just talking from our perspective in australia and i think we've had some of yeah. the harshest um penalties lockdowns etc in the world um, mm -hmm. we've certainly had the longest period of lockdowns here and we've probably got some of the strictest mandates coming into play as well Right. Yeah. I mean, that was, that's been really tough for people. I mean, that was, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I had heard about that. Um, and, uh, and I mean, the, the pandemic has wreaked a lot of economic havoc. Um, the question is, yeah. Well, it's I, not even the economic havoc, but you've got to look at it from the health perspective too, because what they're saying is that they're forcing these mandates and forcing people to get vaccinations because they're concerned about the greater public health. Now, mm -hmm. if that's the case, then let's go back to why we're still selling tobacco at stores. Um, and what about all the other health issues that probably aren't being, you know, noticed or talked about enough, but I'm sure there's a lot of, um, you know, people going out of work, maybe suicide rates, mental health issues, 
that must have been increased over the last couple of years with this pandemic. I couldn't imagine why it wouldn't, because there's a lot of stress in people's lives at the moment. Sure. I mean, I, I think, Lee, you got to draw a, a difference between going out and smoking and doing something that's going to affect other people's health around you. I mean, a transmissible disease is you're impacting your community. It's a societal burden um, that, uh, you know, uh, you have a, a responsibility to other people to reduce that. And that's kind of, you know, whether or not a complete lockdown, what, how, how yeah, draconian the measures should be is, you know, that's, that's, well, that's fair to argue, debate, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I just want to be clear, like, I'm not a public health person. I'm a, I'm a writer and I'm fascinated by this stuff. Um, but I'm, you know, I, 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 I can't talk to you in detail about, <laughs> about the pros and cons of these, of lockdowns in different situations. You know, I, I, I think, I think that there are some interesting sort of philosophical questions to engage in about, you know, mm. the value of a human life and whether, I mean, if you believe, do you believe that an elderly person's life is worth less than a younger person's life? I don't know. How, how do you feel about that? Yeah, I don't know. I, I sort of, and this might sound a bit vicious, but I, I think a lot of people have had the same thoughts. I thought when the coronavirus came out here in Australia, at least, that we should have let it just run its course. And I know that sounds terrible. Um, but I think that would have been a better way for the, the population to um, build up some natural immunity to the coronavirus. You know, I think that there is just there is just too much. I mean, that's like a playing Russian roulette. You know, there's too much scientific uncertainty. And there's uncertainty about the level, the way that immunity develops. There is uh, there is uh, there was a strong belief at the time, and there is now evidence that vaccination provides you with stronger immunity than. Hmm natural infection, number one. And number two, it does not come with the risks of actually getting COVID because a certain percentage of people do get hospitalized or die. That's a fact, mm. you know, I mean, yeah. those, the numbers are, and the numbers are pretty bad for the elderly. So I think you have that question of, I mean, people have proposed all kinds of things about, oh, well, what if we just had the lockdowns for the elderly, or you just isolate mm. the elderly and but take everybody over the age of 60 and put them on an island somewhere like you like you do oh look and, and i don't disagree with that either but you know it's it's and i'm glad i'm not the one making these decisions because i think it'd be very hard to to make these decisions but mm -hmm. um I, I still would argue that you know um a vaccine um for someone you know at their choice should be it's different it shouldn't be the same for everyone like an elderly person should probably get a vaccine um, whereas a younger person should probably have a choice whether they get it or not. Um, and the debate, I guess, on protecting the public, you make a good point. Like that's a hard one to, to argue against as well, because you don't want to be you know, seen as selfish by not getting a vaccination and then spreading the coronavirus through the public. Uh, but then yeah, and I you think know, people with the yeah. vaccine could potentially spread it. And actually it's just happened here in Australia where someone with the new variant Omicron mm -hmm. has, um, has spread it to a population in North, you know, so. It's a tough one. It's a tough one. Um, but maybe we should talk about the science behind the mRNA vaccines because you've done a, a fair bit of research and that's what's included in your book as well. Can you tell us a bit about the creation of these and the race for the creation of these? Uh, sure. I mean, you know, I, I think one of the, one of the th things I sort of describe in the book is the fact that, you know, the race, you know, what allowed us to develop these vaccines in such record time was, of course, all of the scientific developments that have taken, you know, over the course of two decades. I mean, first yeah. off, the mRNA technology, which had been kind of the dream to revolutionize medicine, um, because it is so much easier to manufacture mRNA compared to these complicated protein drugs um, and protein-based vaccines, mm. um, had been something that, that folks had wanted to, to develop for a very long time. And they, they kind of were on the cusp of success when the, the coronavirus outbreak happened. Um, yeah. And then the other thing was the fact that there had been, you know, this small cohort of, you know, uh, of scientists who had been interested in coronaviruses and interested in um, developing vaccines against them. I mean, many of these emerging infectious diseases were not things that pharmaceutical companies, you know, cared about. These were not thought to be money makers most of the time like an outbreak of some disease is going to vanish before it becomes a problem most most of these outbreaks don't become pandemics and so 
the world of big pharma had ignored the coronaviruses, for instance. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, starting in in early January, I think we have uh, an Australian to thank um, for for hitting this get, getting the sequence of the initial vaccine out. I don't know if you've heard of this guy, Eddie Holmes. He's a virologist at the University of Melbourne, and he had a collaboration with a scientist in China who got his hands on the first sample, you know, one of the first early samples of the unknown of the, uh, basically a sample from the lung of a patient at the Wuhan Central Hospital. And uh, this, this Chinese collaborator of his, this guy named Dr. Zhang, uh, was kind of a Chinese patriot. I mean, he believed in his country, et cetera, et cetera. And when, you know, there was kind of this clampdown, the scientists were being muzzled, they weren't allowed to share their data. Um, and I, I describe in the book the scene when, when Dr. Zhang is on the phone with, with Eddie Holmes and Holmes is like, listen, the scientific community's clamoring. We've got to release this sequence. It's getting to be ridiculous. And there on January 11th, uh, Dr. Zhang agreed to, to share the sequence and it ricocheted around the world, kind of starting the vaccine race. Yeah. So that was with the original variant, I assume. That, that was the original virus. Yep. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's what's currently in the vaccines. I mean, it was all based on this, this sequence uh, that, that Eddie Holmes got out uh, and shared. Do you know much about how that, how that um, works as opposed to, you know, now there's 32 different variants, I believe. Um, and I assume the sequencing is different from each one, but I don't really know. Um, how does that work as far as, you know, the vaccinations and their um, efficacy? Yeah, I mean, viruses evolve over time. Uh, and they, they, you know, the coronavirus is, uh, is a pretty big virus. Uh, I think it's mm. got, you know, 30,000 uh, nucleotide bases. You know, I, you know that the ACGT, those are the letters of the, of the genome that you may have seen before. And so there's 30,000 letters, imagine. Um, well, you know, every time this thing co makes copies of itself, because that's what viruses do. They're just little machines to, to hijack our cells and make copies of themselves. There's sometimes little errors, like an old cassette mm -hmm. tape. Um, and so, yeah, so these, these viruses are, are mutating all the time. And we are, have seen several important variants emerge. I mean, the first major one at the beginning of this year was the beta variant. And the thing is, are the vaccines that we use now, they, they just have one uh, major protein, the spike, this famous spike protein. Um, and that is what we develop antibodies against because this, this spike protein is the way the coronavirus gets into our cells. Um, yep. And so uh, the, the concern is about changes in the spike that are so large that the antibodies we developed against the vaccine won't work against a new, um, a, a yeah. new variant hmm. um but there are you know and and there is that are the other... case that it won't because it... i mean like the flu shot you just yeah. have to get a different flu shot every year uh, for those who obviously decided to get a flu shot um which a lot of people obviously didn't but um you know you had to it was different every year because it obviously changes every year as far as i understand that's right. Yeah. I mean, there, there's sort of surveillance about and predictions about what's going to be the, the flu virus of 2022 or, and the vaccine makers will, will go and, and manufacture kind of a mix of various strains. And, uh, and that becomes your, your annual flu vaccine with the coronavirus. I think it's, you know, it's a little bit different. We're in this pandemic where things are sort of breaking out very rapidly. Um, and the, and we still don't know, you know, cause when you, when you make, when your body naturally makes antibodies, develops antibodies to a, uh, a protein a, the, to the spike, it makes, you know, one, you know, optimal antibody, but it makes a lot, sort of a range of them. And so there's some that might sort of, you know, it's like a, like you might have a key for a, an old lock, um, but it works on a few different locks, you know, it's a little, it's, it's not, uh, it's not perfect. And so sometimes you can have antibodies for one virus that will work kind of okay on the other, you know, that's how the, you know, our, the first ever vaccine is the smallpox vaccine. You may, you may know back from, you know, the, the late 1700s. Uh, and what was the smallpox? So smallpox was this horrible disease killed like one third of the people who got it. 
Um, and it was periodically the, an epidemic in England and other places, you know, other places mm. around the world. Um, well, uh, you know, the, the, the famous uh, 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 Dr. Jenner, um, he uh, realized that you could actually take it a sample from a different virus, a related virus called the cowpox, which was basically, you know, presents itself on, on the udders of cows as like kind of a, a pustule. And sometimes milkmaids back in the day would get it on their hands, creating these little pustules. Well, he saw that these milkmaids did not tend to catch smallpox. So mm -hmm. by being exposed to one virus, a very, you know, harmless, practically harmless virus, you were protected against another one. And that's because of this overlap in the antibodies. Yeah. And so, yeah, with these variants, it's kind of a similar story where, yeah, you could have a, a vaccine with one sequence, but it might protect you against slightly different variants. And the question is, how far can we go before we're going to be, you know, the vaccines don't, are no longer effective, the antibodies we make are no longer effective. And I think the dream down the road with the flu vaccine and the coronavirus vaccine is kind of having a universal vaccine or a pan-coronavirus vaccine that will guarantee broad immunity. And, and you know, but that's, that's still a pipe dream. Yeah. When you say broad immunity, what does immunity mean? Like, does that mean you, you're not fully immune to, to the virus at all because you can still get it? So is there a possibility we can ever have 100% immunity to the vaccine, to the, the virus, sorry? <laughs> Well, you know, the, you know that there's this term that, that people used to use, and, and they still do, it's just sterilizing immunity, like the polio vaccine, right? We've seen, you know, the, I mean, that, that was such a, a medical miracle. I mean, nobody gets polio when you get a vaccine. It's practically yeah. nil, 0.00001%. Um, but, you know, people, if, if you exposed a person who'd been vaccinated to the virus, there might be like just a tiny little bit amount of the virus in the person. There might be a tiny little bit of replication, but not very, not very much. It's almost a hundred percent effective. Um, I think that that was, that's kind of one extreme, but I mean, even a vaccine that's, you know, 70% effective is considered extremely good, you know? Um, and it can, and especially in a pandemic context, it can cut down on uh, the, 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 the impact. And, you know, again, a person can be infected, but, you know, taking the vaccine and we've seen this with the coronavirus vaccines reduces your risk of hospitalization and death. Um, even if, even if you, the virus replicates in you, mm. um, cause, cause part of the impact, I think what's really important to know is part of the impact of the coronavirus or of a new disease that you've never been exposed to is that your body doesn't really know how to respond. And what, what's happened, what people have seen in patients is it's kind of the virus itself is not the thing that's so deadly. It's your body's, you know, overreaction to it. It's your body. It's all of the grenades, your body <laughs> detonates to try to get rid of this infection when it doesn't have the right strategy. And a vaccine mm. just helps you hone that strategy. It just gives you a little, you know, something to train your body with. It gives you this harmless piece of the virus. Um, so that you'll be prepared for the real attack. Yeah. I wonder, like with the, like I understand, you know, from the first variant to now the 32nd, whatever it is, um, you know, slowly, and I don't know if you've seen science of this, but does, because that variant changes, does that mean the efficacy of the original vaccine that we're still uh, asking people to have, or the boosters even, um, wouldn't the efficacy just lessen as each variant comes out? Because, Surely that's the idea of the virus to mutate. Um, therefore, our original vaccine wouldn't be as effective uh, for later variants as, as opposed to the first one. Yeah, I, you know, I, that's one way that things can go. So, I mean, what, I, I think the story with vaccines is a little bit different than with, say, antibiotic resistance, which you may have heard of as being a problem, you know, with, with people, people who take antibiotics to fight a bacteria your, you know, bacteria are, you're directly affecting their evolution in that way. Um, I think with the, the vaccine story, it's, it's a little bit less direct. Viruses are evolving in lots of different ways. Um, sometimes mm. it's to, you know, and, and so, so they're not actually, be, because the virus is not responding to like a single chemical, your body 
your body's immune system has lots of different tools. And so maybe, you know, the, 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 some of the tools don't work as well, but other tools work fine. So you have your antibodies, but you've got the cellular immunity, which is, you know, what we call the killer T cells, um, which can, can be very effective. Um, and so I, I think the story with viruses is a little bit more complex. There's not kind of that there is the, the possibility with every variant that the virus is going to be less effective. And I think, um, but, but I, I don't think that's guaranteed. The virus can also be evolving in other ways as well. Yeah. Um, but I mean, again, yeah. if the, why, I mean, is there, is there any updates to the vaccines? Do we have the, you know, the sequencing for the Delta variant, for example, that's been put into the current vaccines? Do we have the sequencing for the, the new Omicron variant that's been putting into vaccines? Is there any science or research or, or talk about that happening? Or are we yeah, still just I mean, pushing the original? No, I mean, both both Moderna and uh, Pfizer um, uh, have have stated that they are work, you know, they, they're getting the prototype vac uh, vaccines for the Omicron variant so that they'll, you know, potentially be able to manufacture it by like March, April of next year. The question is whether or not you really need that new, you know, that new design is, has, has Omicron, to what degree has Omicron evaded the immunity generated by the vaccine? The early data suggests that the vaccines are slightly less effective. Um, but well, I'd, with, I'd want the, I'd want the latest updates. And I think most people would. Uh, you know, I think you, it's, it's a, there, there's kind of a, a, a question of, you know, if, if you could have it tomorrow, um, it, you know, that'd be great. But if you have to wait till March or April, that's different. Because again, when somebody gets a booster shot, for instance, they are producing a diverse array of, of antibodies. They're not just producing one antibody against the coronavirus. And some of these still attach properly to the new variant. Some of them don't. So the vaccine might be a little bit less effective. You might end up mm. producing useless antibodies. Yeah. Um, but, the day, but the vaccine has not been rendered totally ineffective. I think the, I mean, the booster shot debate has been really an interesting one in my view. Um, and I think, uh, you know, the, there, there are, uh, you know, I mean, there, there are questions about what, what is the, the right strategy, Lee? And I, I can't answer that because that for some people, if you're sort of at higher risk, you certainly should be getting that booster shot, that third shot, um, to up your neutralizing antibodies. I think for other people, it's a little bit more of a gray area about whether off, whether you might be better in the long run, waiting a little bit longer. Um, right. I, I, because I, what I, they're I, saying here, at least, is that we need to have booster shots every six months. At least that's what I'm, I'm hearing myself, and I could be wrong with that. And I don't think, I think that's just about <laughs> to start rolling out, you know. And 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 I've, I'm hearing in the news too that the booster shots actually help. Um, boost efficacy of the uh, the vaccines and and help people build stronger immunities. Now, is that is that scientifically shown yet? I mean, is there enough evidence there to show that? Yeah, I mean, the, there is. You know, I I I don't think that data are in about just how successful these booster shots are going to be with Omicron. I mean, this has been. I mean, there's been some incredible science done, but you know, you don't get the answer tomorrow. <laughs> I mean, we no, just no. learned about we just learned about Omicron what uh, two two to three weeks ago, and um, you know, and and I think researchers are st still trying to figure out what the efficacy was and figure out how. I mean, there is the immune system is incredibly complicated. Um, well, absolutely, so, no. but this is the question. Like now, we're talking about bringing out vaccines for five year olds and above. Mm -hmm. um, but there's also this, this, you know, fear mongering in the media about this new variant. Um, mm -hmm. so as a parent, how do you then go, okay, well, this, this vaccine for the kids, which I assume is based on the, the past or original sequencing, not, not the new variant, mm -hmm. you know, how do we justify that? And how we don't actually, I don't know if anyone's talking about the long-term effects, because I understand they've pushed this through very rapidly, this, this vaccination. Now you've done some research into that about how they actually were able to be produce a vaccine in such record times because typically it was like 10 years, et cetera. But this one was produced in, in a lot less time. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, the record here in the U S was the mumps vaccine in four years and, and yeah, vaccines typically take several years to develop. I mean, and to be tested or, too. 
and to be tested. But I, I don't, you know, there were not any corners cut in the in the testing process. I mean, the thing about this vaccine is that we had a design for the vaccine and a strategy for the vaccine two yep. days after that sequence came online. And the process, I mean, part of the reason that vaccines are slow to develop, honestly, is the pharmaceutical companies don't want to take the financial risk. So they they do one little study, they sit back, they analyze it, they do their cost benefit analysis, they, you know, and then finally they they get to the end of the line and then they have to start ramping up manufacturing. What we did in the States was we had Operation Warp Speed where we started funding all of this manufacturing, you know, before the vaccines had proven effective. And we had a lot of different ways to sort of cut the dead space in the development of the vaccines, Um, you know, and, and, and basically running a lot of these types of experiments in parallel and things like that. I don't think that there, you know, the, you know, Lee, if you want to talk about the, I mean, the initial vaccines, I, I think, I don't think that there's an issue with the safety of them. Oh, and I think the the efficacy was was pretty amazing. I think that the the, hmm. qu- the questions that that I have, and yep. if I wanted to point to the to the touchy subject, where it's kind of you know in, where I think many people, scientists included, are have right to be skeptical of the motivations of the pharmaceutical companies, is what's going to happen with these with these booster shots. And like you say, do, wait, are we going to have to get shots every six months? Because that would be pretty lame. That's not the way a, a, a vaccine's supposed to work. Um, and, oh, there you uh, go. And that's, again, what right. I go back to. It's the original argument right. about trust and confusion in the public. That creates mm-hmm. a heck of a lot of confusion and, and doubt as to, you know, the, the, why should we take a vaccine if that's the case? And why should then we get boosters? Like, it just it doesn't sort of make sense. And, and talk to us about the pharma companies. I mean, they've made billions of dollars out of this vaccine. That's right. I mean, before this pandemic, vaccines were kind of thought of as kind of a loser category. <laughs> and, uh, and, and pharm- you know, pharmaceutical companies didn't, weren't running to cash in on the coronavirus. I want to be clear about this. Yeah. I, I write in the book, you know, back in, in late January at the Davos meetings in Switzerland, uh, uh, you know, Sanofi and Merck, two of these major uh, vaccine makers were basically didn't want to talk about the coronavirus. They were focused on their flu vaccines. Pfizer told its partner, oh, we're not going to get, you know, we're not, we don't want to work on this right now because mo- typically these, these types of vaccines, they, they uh, outbreaks, they vanish before you have anybody to sell the product to. So when, you know, getting the companies involved and getting the, the might of the pharmaceutical industry to be making these vaccines was a really important coup. Um, and in the end, yeah, the vaccine makers have profited immensely. Mm. Um, and uh, I think everybody rightfully should be asking questions about, you know, considering the, the, a lot of the investment into these, the mRNA and into the design of these vaccines came from uh, university laboratories. We have the National Institutes of Health here that have supported that. You know, we want to see science. Scientists want to see those funds, at least some of them, getting filtered back to help us defend against what whatever the next disease is, because because it, it could be even worse than the coronavirus. God forbid. Um, but are they? Uh, are they being filtered back? Because you you raise a really good point there. I mean, if the government's agenda is all about you know keeping public health. Um, you know, about the public health issue, then shouldn't the government just be providing this and, and not sending all the profits to a company like Pfizer or Moderna? Well, I mean, are, are, are you a capitalist? Or, <laughs> you know, I, I think there's, there's so many benefits. You know, we've seen that governments are good at some things and they're not good at other things. That's kind of why, you know, and you have to make... Uh, there, there is, I have, I believe that sort of the capitalist system works in some respects mm. and, you know, companies have the, the thing is the companies have a profit motive. Pfizer is a publicly traded company. It needs to keep its shareholders happy. And we've accepted that. And yeah. the beauty of it is they can put this kind of muscle. And I mean, and they prove just how fast they can ramp up their manufacturing and deliver a vaccine. And that's amazing. But as right, you're, you're, the government has an, 
its obligations not to shareholders. It, your, its obligation is to the people of the country to make sure these vaccines are safe, to make sure that we are not uh, getting taken advantage of. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I think there is a, a tug of war here, you know, and, and I, I write a lot about that in the book because Operation yeah. Warp Speed was just this, this a public-private partnership. Um, and it was like, how do you get that, you know, how do you get the might of industry, but not let industry uh, take advantage of, of the nation? And do you feel that the industry is taking advantage now? Um, you know, I think that they are, are benefiting. And I think, uh, you know, I, I think there's, there's a couple issues where I would like to see, a, you know, a strong, you know, a stronger approach from, from the Biden administration. I mean, we've, we've had this big issue around the global rollout of vaccines and getting these companies to be getting them to places like, uh, uh, you know, nations where there's been really low vaccination coverage in Africa, Haiti mm. here in the Western Hemisphere, it's like 2% vaccination. I mean, these places are places where the variants are going to be emerging is among the unvaccinated. Yeah, yeah. Um, interesting. So booster shots um, potentially uh, happening now. Um, hopefully updated vaccines with the new sequencings coming out as well that'd be obviously a good thing what are some of the um i guess the myths out there that you dispel uh in your book maybe some of the most common myths um yeah i mean i i think one of the main things is i you know i lay out sort of the the process by which vaccines are tested the, these vaccines were tested kind of the you know this push and pull between the threat of the pandemic and the, uh, the need to ensure that the vaccines were safe. That was kind of a constant struggle among the folks in the government who were, who were working on these, these efforts. Um, Can you explain how they were tested? Do you know? Yeah, I mean, the, the, I mean, the, the, the standard process is we, we had the kind of the main trials is you, you start off, you begin with animal testing um, sort of proving that the vaccine can, is immunogenic. That means that in mice, it's producing the right antibodies that can stop the coronavirus from getting into cells. And so that was kind of the first step yeah. um, before a clinical trial would begin, before the first humans get in, injected with the, the vaccine. And so, I mean, that you want to prove that this thing has the potential to be effective and then that it's not going to be acutely toxic. And then that's when sort of, you know, the folks volunteered human the, for the first human trials and, and you, the so with, with the testing in the, in the animals, how long would, mm -hmm. how long did those tests run for before they were comfortable to pass it to humans? Um, well, I mean, with, with the Moderna vaccine, I can talk about that a little bit. They yeah. had sort of some, some background with, you know, there's like sort of toxicology studies, which are really basic things that you do um, just to understand where, when you give somebody a medication or a vaccine, where it ends up in the body, understand mm. how it affects different tissues. And so Moderna had some basic toxicology data that they had already collected for their mRNA vaccines and they added to with these. But then before the clinical trials, um, there was basically two weeks. Uh, it, was, it, was in, it was fast, basically. Uh, it doesn't sound like a long time. Mm. Well, the, basically, the, I mean, they did, Nobody wanted to wait. I mean, this was February, no, no. and uh, from I, I, I think I have, the, I have the timeline in my book. I think around February fourth, um, the National Institutes of Health received the the first doses of the vaccine, and that they gave to mice. And then it was around like February nineteenth that they got. You know, it was the day that they got the data that demonstrated that the vaccine produced antibodies, and that's when they they said, "All right." we can start testing this in people. So they began, you know, they began this with what we call the Sentinels. These are the first brave folks who get the vaccine. I think they, they started with four people who got the lowest dose of the vaccine. And then they slowly ramp up, you know, yeah. in this early phase one trial up to the higher doses. And it was at the highest dose, 250 milligrams. There were some pretty, pretty serious reactions. I described one guy who gets this fever and a throbbing head and just feels like crap. Um, and so Moderna ends up dropping that high dose. And so over how high that was that dose? Did you say? 
200, so the lowest dose was 25 uh, micrograms. The highest dose was 250 micrograms. Right. Okay. You know, the idea is you want the, the lowest dose possible that still produces the right level of immune response. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, sort of that's the early stages of testing is just, okay, what's the right dose? Is this thing safe? And after uh, a couple months, they'd sort of honed in on, you know, the optimal dose somewhere between 150 micrograms. And that's when the big phase three clinical trials began. And this is what you need to test whether a vaccine is actually effective. That's the primary goal of these trials. Um, you're also, you know, these, the, and with the COVID vaccines, this was a 30,000 person clinical trial, which is much larger than a typical clinical trial. I mean, the, the, this was an enormous logistical effort. Yeah. Um, and the idea with these trials is to compare how frequently a person who's vaccinated got COVID versus a person who's unvaccinated. So they're just people get vaccinated and then they go about their daily lives and they just, maybe they're going to naturally be exposed to COVID um, that's spreading in the community. Um, and so that process was what happened in the fall of, of 2020, as we were all waiting to find out what the clinical trial results would be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, those large trials, they are, you know, they were designed to identify efficacy, but they also, because you're exposing many more people to the vaccine, you're also monitoring for any safety events and so on. But the, you know, the rarest vaccine safety events can't be, you know, uh, like Guillain-Barre, this autoimmune disorder, that's like one in a hundred thousand people with, uh, you know, it, at, at the greatest. So, I mean, that's still an, incre you know, incredibly rare. It's not necessarily going to get picked up in mm. a large clinical trial, but it's something um, that gets picked up in kind of like post-vaccine surveillance and so on. Mm. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, so that was, that's kind of the process by which, which these things were tested, were tested. Yeah. And what are they doing about, you know, long-term? I mean, there doesn't seem to be much term talk about the long-term um, issues or side effects that could occur from taking this vaccine and, and also, you know, booster shots potentially for a longer period of time. How do they monitor or assess the risk of that? Well, I mean, I, you know, one of the things, you know, the big challenge is the question here in the, in, in the U.S. was hmm. what, how much follow-up, how, how long do you want to follow a person who received the vaccine to ensure that there's no safety problems. And, yeah. and now this was kind of like the debate around the emergency authorization of the vaccine. Normally the vaccines, uh, you know, historically vaccines, you know, would, you know, take six months, maybe even a couple of years of follow-up of people. Yeah. In this case, the FDA said, came to a decision that they were going to allow an emergency authorization of a vaccine if at least half the people in the trial had over 42 days um, uh, had had the vaccine for over 42 days. And the reason for this is when they reviewed, you know, their historic vaccine trials, there is pretty much, you know, any time that there is a serious side effect, it happens in those first uh, four to six weeks. Yeah, um, most of the people that I know that have had what I'd consider fairly severe side effects from it, it happens fairly straight away, you know, within the first week, really. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, you, I mean, there's the reaction that somebody has to a vaccine, which is kind of your immune system ramping up, whether or not something's really an adverse event, you know, takes a certain level of investigation and, and so on. Yeah. 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 Um, and yeah, I guess you have to sort of, if you've had that side of reaction, you've got to report it and investigate it. Um, cause I said, I don't know, I don't know if they're investigating it. Um, if someone does have an adverse effect, other than just saying, well, it's, it's all good, you've got no issues, you know, just proceed as normal. Um, but there, the long-term, I, I always question the long-term, um, you know, and it's quite a, it has the mRNA vaccine or mRNA, what do you call it, the process, the vaccine, has it ever been used on any other thing other than the, the virus? Is this the first time we've used it? This is the yeah. I mean, this this was a groundbreaking thing. That was the first time that the mRNA has uh, succeeded as a as a vaccine. It, it it had been a dream for a while because I mean, look yeah. at this this company Novavax, which has a sort of the old school vaccine, the protein based vaccine. I mean, that company it's taken them forever to yeah. iron out their process and and so on. mRNA is kind of like plug and play. Um, and 
you know, but then you look at the M- getting it. mRNA. Well, you're looking at number one, it's a new, a new way to deliver vaccines. And number two, it's a new vaccine. So you've got two things that have limited um, time to be trialed and, and understood the, you know, potential longer term effects of these things. I don't think there's any reason to believe that there would be long-term effects of these. I mean, the Why mRNA, so, I mean, t- mRNA is a very short-lived molecule compared, you know, compared to DNA, compared to anything else. I mean, you mRNA breaks down within days of being injected. Mm. So there's mm. no trace of it. Um, and yeah, uh, so the, so the whole idea that it, it um, manipulates your genes is, is a myth, isn't it? Yeah, no, that that's... <laughs> That's not true. I mean, I, I think that that it 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 takes advantage of machinery in your cells to produce a protein that your body can launch an immune response to. Mm. Um, you know, I mean, I think, you know, I I, I don't want to lead people down the wrong path, but it you know the the only thing we see with kind of the flu vaccines. This was interesting and news to me was you know flu vaccines. Many people get them every year. Well, as you get older, you tend to be less. Uh, uh, they, they're, uh, older people are less stimulated by flu vaccines because they've been exposed to it so many times. Um, and so they end up having to take larger and larger doses. So there are sort of some, there's some level Which of makes habitu- sense. Tolerance, situation. Yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, I mean, we're a long way off from that, from COVID. Um, and, uh, and I think ultimately people not being immunologically naive to COVID is the most important thing at this stage. Less, yeah. you know, we're not talking, I mean, these, the, 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 the scientific studies that show that people adapt to the vaccines is people who've gotten, you know, who are regularly getting flu vaccines for 30 years. Um, is that a, roughly how long the flu vaccines have been around for? Uh, yeah. I mean, the, the, the flu vaccines were like, uh, Gosh, like the the seventies and eighties is when they started. Seventies and eighties, was it? Yeah. But I mean, I don't know. So, when, I mean, we've had many many years now them. of of obviously flu vaccines, and I don't know the science of the outcomes of long term usage of it, other than what you've just said. I guess the tolerance makes sense. So you'd assume that the the new um, mRNA vaccines, well, you'd hope anyway that they will play out much the same as as previous vaccines were used. Yeah, I don't think that there's there's any reason to think that they they would be different. Um, the the you know I, I well they are I, different. I, they are. It's a a delivery mechanism. You know, yeah. I mean, you're whether you're delivering it as mRNA or the virus vector um, or the protein, it's all exposing your body to ultimately mm. the main thing is to to this to this protein. Yeah, um, the yeah. coronavirus spike. Um, really interesting, eh? Mm. <laughs> Mate, um, I know you've got a lot of uh, more research and science, etc., in the book, um, much more than what we've gone into today. Um, and I really appreciate you coming on and sharing because I think it's you know it's these discussions that need to be had to at least give people the opportunity to explore for themselves um, the information, you know. So um, for that, I thank you. Thanks for coming on. Appreciate it, Brendan. Yeah, good to talk to you too, Lee. I'll, um, I'll stick the book link in the show notes. Is there a way people can reach out to you, Brendan, or just best to get the book? How do you like uh, You know, go, I've got a website for the book called thefirstshots.com. Uh, so yep. go check that out. And there's a, a box down below that can send me messages. Cool. I'll stick that in the links too, guys. Check it all out at thehiddenwhy.com. Until next time, peace, passion, and purpose. Thanks, guys, for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed what you heard. I hope you love what you're hearing. If you like this episode, guys, or any of the episodes that you're listening to here at The Hidden Why, please do me a favor by sharing it. You can share it with your families. You can share it with your loved ones. You can do that by using your favorite social media channels using the icons on the platform that you're listening to The Hidden Why podcast. Also, guys, if you're a fan of the show, please connect with me. Connect with me at thehiddenwhy.com. I love to hear from you. I love to converse with the people that listen to this show to find out what they enjoy, what they don't enjoy, and perhaps if they have any questions or feedback for the show as well. You can stay up to date with all that I'm releasing here, guys. I do a solo show every Monday, a three-minute thought every Thursday. I do two interviews a week on a Wednesday and a Saturday, and a book review every Friday. 
You can stay up to date with all that by subscribing to my newsletter at thehiddenwire.com. Just enter your email address there and also subscribing to the podcast on the platform that you choose to listen to your podcast. You can also support the show, guys, by using the Amazon links at thehiddenwire.com. So if you like books, you can get all the books that I review there um, and anything else, really, that you like to purchase through Amazon. So use that link. It helps support the show. And we've also got a deal with Audible, guys. Audible is a fantastic way to listen to all your favorite books. We've got a deal with them so you can get two free books when you subscribe or yeah, subscribe to a 30-day free trial. So check that out, again, at thehiddenwire.com. Guys, that's it from me. You know what to do. Go out there. Breathe more passion into every single moment. Do everything with greater purpose. And in doing so, you will discover your hidden why. This is The Hidden Why. My name is Lee Manutzi. Until next time, peace, passion, and purpose. See you soon.